um, when we have a chance to get Dr. George Bogdan, we got to go for it. And uh, we did. And he's nice enough to give us a couple of minutes uh, right here on LA News Radio for the first time and uh, hopefully not the last. Uh, George, great to have you here on a Friday. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Jay. Fantastic stuff. So much to talk to you about. Let's start with Kissinger, though, and the passing of him uh, a couple of days ago, George. Um, you know, uh, certainly one of our iconic figures ever. A Secretary of State, a template to have for many, even uh, thought that way of uh, by Anthony Blinken uh, the other day. But uh, in essence, you know, with Kissinger, you can go to so many different arteries here. Uh, you know, I go back to the Watergate days, how prominent he was, my goodness, uh, back in the days of Nixon and everything else. That's where his power kind of really grew, the turmoil and everything else. But basically, you know, he assumed a role, uh, you know, to kind of really rub uh, rub shoulders very closely uh, to the weakened Richard Nixon there. That's how uh, many, uh, you know, Meyer and everything else will remember him, Dr. Buck. Right. I, I think you're you're absolutely correct about where he got his start in government, um, because it was during the Nixon administration that he rose to uh, prominence and where he first took on the role that I think uh, no one has actually repeated, which is to simultaneously be the national security advisor and the secretary of state at the same time. And so he had a, an almost omniscient role in that administration's foreign policy for a long time. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, he had a lot of detractors, no question. Uh, Kissinger did after he left government even. You know, a lot of people argue that he should be uh, called to account policies, Southeast Asia, uh, you know, repressive regimes that uh, he supported, talking about Latin America and everything else. Uh, but, you know, this is a guy had pretty thick skin, George, right? I mean, you know, he could withstand the vitriol of anybody, really. Uh, and even with a book tour that he was doing at age 99, you know, he was still getting it left and right. But he had a way about him, uh, Henry Kissinger did. He just had a way, the upbringing and everything else. Uh, you know, an individual fled Nazi Germany with his family. He was in his teens. Uh, and I think that had a lot to do as far as his exterior was concerned. Yes, I think once you've lived through what he lived through in his life, you know, criticism in public is not that big of a deal, and he'd often make light of it. He said once that uh, the reason I have not sunken into obscurity is that my enemies are so determined, and so he sort of enjoyed, I think, the the ongoing uh, kind of debates he'd have with them. You know, I would say with regards to, um, you know, the choices that he had to make in, in his time in government, it's very easy now, you know, as we live in a world that's, I think, uh, much less restive than that period and during the Cold War to kind of judge him with, with 2020 hindsight. But, you know, just for example, in, in Argentina, there was a real fear that there would be an emergence of another Castroite regime uh, in the Western Hemisphere. Um, and it, that, that idea is sort of foreign to us now, but, but it could have really seriously compromised the security of the United States. And so, when there are no good options, you have to choose the one that's the least bad for the United States. And I think he oftentimes was faced with that kind of decision. No doubt. Dr. George Bogdan with us uh, talking about uh, the late uh, Henry Kissinger passing away at age 100. 
uh, this week. I think I have it right, if memory serves me correct, George. Uh, a national security advisor and then a secretary of state. And I think there was a time somewhere where he held both titles. Uh, I think I have that right. Am I, am I okay on that? Yes, yes. Um, and it, it can be a little bit uh, confusing, but, you know, the, the Secretary of State is the sort of highest-ranking diplomat in the United States, and the National Security Advisor is a kind of position where you coordinate the various input from different agencies and provide kind of the president with the bottom line every day on various national security issues. So for him to occupy both positions was quite extraordinary. He, he had under his control the entire apparatus of the Department of State, but also he was within a few steps of uh, President Nixon's Oval Office uh, for a period. So that, that's the kind of influence we're talking about here, really a kind of one-of-a-kind figure. No doubt. George Bogdan with us, Dr. Bogdan. So there are four things that come to mind with Henry Kissinger of prominence, and I think it'll never be duplicated uh, again, and that is his quest for peace in the Middle East without question. Uh his uh, he used these so-called secret channels between uh, to pursue ties between the U.S. and China. You, you're talking about isolation, isolationism, and mutual hostility that ended decades of that. Based on Kissinger, I always remember the Paris negotiations, George. Uh, you know, to get the U.S. a costly war was in Vietnam, and after those negotiations. Everybody remembers Saigon falling to the communists there. And the other one was, you know, you talk about a policy of detente with the Soviet Union back then, as it was called. You know, the arms control agreements, possibility that the tensions of the Cold War and nuclear threat, you know, they didn't have to kind of keep going here. Four things right there for Kissinger. Uh, You know, and I said, you know, you're never going to have an individual duplication-wise, of what he accomplished. Right. I think that, you know, the, the points that you raise demonstrate both his profound influence, but also the really complicated and trenchant issues of his time, uh, because he, you know, came to office with the Nixon administration when the war in Vietnam had already been going badly for so long. And, you know, he had to provide the nation a path towards a resolution of the conflict, right? And... So, you know, the Paris peace negotiations are portrayed by his critics as a terrible failure and, oh, you know, the war could have ended so much sooner and this and that. But there were real costs to the appearance of capitulation. And we don't know what might have occurred after the Vietnam War concluded if the United States had come across as though it were willing to fold very easily. So those were the kinds of questions he had to confront. Um, And then when South Vietnam was overrun, he had to consider, in retrospect, what would have been the value of the United States staying in the conflict and preventing that from taking place. You know, thousands and thousands of American lives were lost in the war. So he's a, I think, tragic figure in some ways, but that was also part of his understanding of international affairs. Uh, But, you know, we could go on and on. There are so many points that you raised that the the China uh, opening was incredibly important because it, it split it off. Uh, from the Soviet Union and made both powers less threatening on their own uh, because at the time, you know, they were a bit of a block during the Cold War. So very important uh, foreign policy that he advanced. 
Yeah, and a lot of people might remember and this guy was castigated. You know, he was denounced on the college campuses, the bombing, and the uh, invasion of Cambodia, the Allied invasion of Cambodia in April. I think it was seventy-one, maybe uh, it had to be nineteen seventy, right around there. And the intention was to uh, destroy these supply lines, right, George? You know, these North Vietnamese supply lines, the communist forces in that region. Uh, And that was South Vietnam. That was an incursion. Uh, Nixon and Kit, you know, we hear the word incursion, Joe Biden and everything else, what he used. Uh, As far as, you know, how Putin was going to operate as far as Ukraine and everything else. But incursion was a word used back in the day. Nixon and Kissinger called it, you know. And a lot, a lot of folks blamed, you know, if the contributor Cambodia has fallen to the hands, you know, of those insurgents. I mean, let's face it. They slaughtered, as we have learned, about two million or so Cambodians back then. Right. I think that uh, during the Vietnam War, there was a, a, revel, a kind of realization by the United States that the Vietnamese were using uh, the countryside of Cambodia and this was a sparsely uh, populated country at the time. We're talking about a country of 6.7 million people uh, and quite a large area of land as Southeast Asia goes. And so they were moving into the borderlands of Cambodia and sort of re-entering Vietnam and creating a, a kind of path to, to resupply themselves. Now, you could say, okay, you know, Cambodia is a sovereign country. The United States was not, you know, really at war with Cambodia, why bomb these areas? But the reality was that it was contributing to hundreds of American deaths every week. And so here again, um, President Nixon and, and Kissinger had a very difficult choice to make. Do you uh, respect Cambodia's sovereignty or do you bomb you know, the forces that are doing ill and doing harm to the American forces that are on the ground? I don't think that was an easy choice. Now, the second half of your question about what the long-term implications of uh, bombing Cambodia were, I mean, I think this will be debated for a long time, because the Khmer Rouge that came into power uh, after the United States left the region, in some sense, uh, you know, they, I think, were a genocidal regime that would would have been difficult to control either way. Um, And the government in Phnom Penh was weak long before the United States bombed uh, the eastern provinces of Cambodia. So, the sort of Kissinger's culpability is a very complicated question, and I think had he intervened against the Khmer Rouge when they began to undertake their atrocities, he would have been criticized for that as well. So, this was a very difficult period in Southeast Asia of profound change, and uh, the kind of worst impulses of the of the governments there, I think, were hard for the United States to control. Uh, but that's my view, you know, and there will be many others who for many years will will disagree. So, yeah, no question about it. It'll be up for discussion. Uh, Dr. George Bogdan with us. George, a couple of minutes, you know, and even in his latter year, you know, even you go back his final few months, he was continuing his involvement. Uh, he met the Chinese president, Xi, uh, last summer in Beijing. You know, the book tour and everything else, age 99, my goodness. Uh, You talk about somebody who just can't get it out of his system, but uh, a man who still held that prominent nature about him. 
and 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 G met him and everything else. That that had to be something. Yes, I, I think that one aspect of Kissinger's life that people will continue to try to emulate is just his commitment to remaining productive and to contributing to debates, uh, which was just extraordinary. Um, the number of books, the impact of the books, the you know willingness of people in all sorts of different contexts to listen to what he had to say and to engage with him on kind of fundamental questions of foreign policy, that is a, a, a quite unique aspect of his life. And so when I look at the last year of, of his life, I, I am stunned, like many people, at how much he, you know, was able to pull off during that period. So I, I think that that's correct. That uh, we'll remember him for that. George Bogdan with us. That takes us uh, to uh, you know even today's events with the president meeting with G a couple of weeks ago. Uh, George out in uh, San Francisco. Uh, you know, I kind of took it as those communication lines are always good to have, especially with the tensions uh, and everything else. But on the other hand, what was accomplished? Are we curbing fentanyl? Is is that pretty much it? I mean, when you, you get a sense of things, you wonder if conversations were ever brought up regarding the spy base in Cuba, the balloon, the Chinese spy balloon over the country, uh, even that talk of uh, of COVID and everything else, you wonder if anything of substance actually got done during the, that period of time. Right. I was left scratching my head a bit, Jay. I, I think that it was strange that uh, that Biden, on the one hand, had this you know sort of very clear pageantry about the events, and there was all of this effort made to show agreement on certain issues, and yet at the same time, in the core areas where the United States and China disagree there was actually very little comment in public and so uh, you have to you have to you have to wonder what happened behind the scenes in that glamorous estate outside of San Francisco um, I am hopeful that uh, by reestablishing military to military communication the United States and China can you know avoid truly terrible disasters where miscommunication leads to something uh, really bad but at the same time uh, I think there has to be a strategy that underlies U.S. engagement or else you're just giving concessions, right? And so that's what I, I hope I see in the future. But but uh, we'll see. You know, it's a strange uh, moment for U.S.-China relations. No question. Dr. George Bogdan, we can't thank you enough uh, for coming on the, uh, the airwaves today here on the island, and uh, we look forward to the next time, sir. Thank you so much, Jay. It was a pleasure, and uh, happy weekend.